right. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. Uh, I hope you had a good holiday break. We had an excellent holiday break. At one point, I was able to get in front of a screen and watch the evil empire fall. The empire which has had a, a cold grip over the universe for decades. You know what I'm talking about. The Patriots lost last night. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. The Patriots lost. And I feel free. There is a new hope. There's a new hope. And so I know you Chiefs fans are feeling it because uh, you guys got it next week. So, no, uh, it's really good to be with you. Really excited for this new year. Uh, over the break, I had some time to just reflect on 2019. And it was just such an incredible year for our church. We grew like never before and gave like never before and made friends like never before. And I'm just I'm so thankful to be a part of this. And uh, I couldn't help but think uh, about 2020, all that's going to happen this year. There's so much that we've been working on and working towards that's going to come to fruition. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited about all that's happening and all that's going to happen. So thanks for being a part. Our family's so grateful for our role. And um, we're, we're excited about what's, what's, what's up next. Speaking about what's up next, we're starting a brand new series today called The Blessed Life, Volume 2. Now, it says Volume 2, so that means there was a Volume 1. Uh, two or three years ago, we did a series based on a book by Robert Morris called The Blessed Life. And this series just had a surprising impact on our church. We, we took time to talk about what the Bible says about finances and stewardship and responsibility and all these sorts of things. And uh, what ended up happening is a series that I think a lot of people were probably a little bit skeptical, skeptical of coming in. Like, oh no, are we talking about finances? Actually became like a huge source of, of blessing for us. And uh, I wanted to talk about what we discussed in Blessed Life Volume 1. In Blessed Life Volume 1, I got a little chart here to go over it. That's actually my phone making that horrible noise. There it goes. Sorry. That's my own fault. I want to talk about what we talked about in Blessed Life Volume 1. I just want to give you a, a brief overview if you weren't here for that series. So here's what often happens when people talk about blessing and finances and things like that at church. Oftentimes people will say, okay, so you have to give to the church to the poor, to needy people. You've got to do it. You've got to give to your neighbor. But here's the good news. If you do do it, you do give, then God will give you more. Press down, shaking together, running over. As much as you can handle, he'll give it. Maybe you've even heard a televangelist. If you give now to this ministry, then God will give you back 10 times the money. You're going to get rich. I'm getting rich. We're all going to get rich serving Jesus. Amen. Ever heard that? Like, this is like the diagram, like as simple as I can make. This is how people think about the blessed life. It's kind of a loaded word for our culture. So what we took time to do in the first series is explain what the Bible actually says about living a blessed life. And here's the big error in a lot of teaching about blessing. A lot of people focus on the blue. Hey, what you're really after is more money, right? That's the motivation. So give more to God or to the church or the poor, whatever. Do it over there, and you'll get what you're really after. You follow that blue line all the way home, baby. But what we learned in The Blessed Life, Volume 1, is that real blessing, the real blessed life, is actually the green line. That's what it means to live the blessed life. It's having the opportunity to give what God has put in our hands to others. It's having the opportunity to make an impact with the resources that we've been given the talents we've been given, everything that we have at our, disposable, at our disposal, we have an opportunity to bless others with it, and that is the blessing. That is the blessed life. It's not once we get to the blue that we start having the blessing. Now, we did talk about how the Lord promises to take care of us and how there is a component of blue reality, but it's not the point. 
It's not the blessing. The blessing is in the giving. And that is such an essential shift in the way that we think about money. And it's a path to really experiencing financial freedom. Within that first series, we talked about what is expected of a Christian, somebody committed to Jesus when it comes to our finances. We looked at what Jesus says about money, and as some of you know, he says a lot. So we looked at what Jesus says about money and how we are to use our money, and the main kind of point that we kept pressing on is the simple idea that we are called to be generous people, that when we are generous and when we live generous, we, fa- we experience financial freedom and financial peace like never, ever before. I'm going to summarize that entire first series, that four-week-long series, and this is in your notes, by just saying, God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. As I said, the series kind of surprised us. Like, we ended up really having a lot of fun during that last series, and so many of you were personally impacted. I've never gotten so much feedback on a series than when we did this one the first time. Um, we have so many great stories, people saying, well, I had never taken the step of faith to give before, and then I took it, and God took care of us, and I learned so much, and I don't think I really experienced faith until I was willing to kind of put myself out there with God, and, and, and now I just, I feel moving in new ways, and, and some of you said I had no idea what the Bible said about finances, and some of you said I'd been scarred by past experiences, and just getting to a blank slate and just looking at the Word of God helped me kind of recover and reset when it comes to my financial life. It was a a blessing to be able to go over the material. But then there were some of us who had another story to tell after this series. Because what some of us said is, I have been convinced that Jesus is calling me to live a generous lifestyle. But I can't do it. I I can't do it. I can't do what he's asking. I, I am so far in debt I don't even control what happens with my money anymore because so many people control my money and control what I do, and I feel so overwhelmed. I feel like God is calling me to do something that I cannot do. And and what ends up happening is if some of us, we hear the call to be generous, and we want to answer that call. But if we've been unwise or undisciplined with our money, even if we want to be generous, we find ourselves without the means to do it. And it made me realize as we were having these conversations that any conversation about finances when it comes to the Bible really stands on two legs. One leg is generosity, which we covered in depth in volume one. But the other leg is stewardship. It stands on two legs. Um, Some of us were inspired to give during the last series, but we found that we didn't have a leg to stand on. We didn't have the means. We didn't have the give. We hadn't been wise with our money. We hadn't been disciplined. And so while we wanted to be generous, how long can you really stand on one leg? Eventually, we just felt like it was kind of falling apart, which is why any good discussion on uh, biblical finances talks about both generosity and stewardship. Stewardship means we are wise and disciplined with our money. It means that we take the the lessons that are given to us in Scripture and apply them to our lives. When we have both stewardship and generosity in our lives, that is what enables us to walk out the blessed life. That is what's necessary. One without the other, we just don't move forward. And maybe you're sitting here thinking like, stewardship's a weird word. I don't know what that means. Um, Because it's not a very common word in our culture. So let me begin by telling you what a steward is. Um, A steward in the Bible is a person left in charge 
of another person's assets. So one person left in charge of another person's assets. So like, um, I don't know if you ever did this, but have you ever house-sitted? You know, like, maybe you go on vacation and you ask somebody, will you watch over our house, feed the pet, let them out, mow the yard, I mean, get in the mail, like, take care of the house. We're going to be away, and I need you to come in and take care of the house. If you have ever done that or ever had somebody do that, you are asking them to be a steward of your home. And no way does the person moving into your house for a week own the house. Okay, that's pretty clear. Like, you don't get the house now. You just get to live in it for a week. Now, I did this as a teenager, and I loved it because there was this one house that we house-sitted, and they had a pool in the backyard. And so during the summer, we got to use the pool. And they had, and I don't know why I thought this was so cool, but as a teenager, I did. They had a toaster oven which was like magic for me as a teenager. I'm like, I can't believe how much this, this improves my sandwich. I loved it. So they had a toaster oven and a pool, and I loved being in their house because I got all the benefits of living in their house. But again, it was very clear that I didn't own it. If they had can't come back and I had said, you know what, we took out a wall. I just felt like it opened up the house a little bit more. <laughs> took it right out. You're welcome. Or if, if we had painted it some gaudy color or or put some artwork, some permanent artwork in the house. I mean, we would have been in big, big trouble. Why? Because that's not what the owner wants. And we don't own it. We're just a steward. So we were given something to manage, but we didn't own it. So the way that we did well as house sitters was taking good care of the house and doing with it exactly what the owner wanted, taking care of it the way the owner wanted. Now, I've actually experienced incredible stewardship before. Like, one of my friends showed me, like, a next kind of level of stewardship. We had friends stay with us for a week who were out of town. And this one day, Megan and I had some errands to run. And so we left the house, and we were doing our thing. And, well, let me ask you a question. Do you have a closet in your house that is just chaos? Like, scary? You know, you ever seen this on TV? You open it, and the bowling ball falls down from the top. I don't know why you'd store bowling balls on the top shelf. We're going to talk a lot about wisdom today. That's unwise, just for the record, okay? So, but we had a closet like that. Like, you open it, and you're going to, you know. Anyways, we're gone for the day, and we come back, and we open the closet, and our friends had not only cleaned the closet, but they had bought bought a whole new organizational system. They had built shelves and, like, got all these racks. And this room, which had always been chaos in our home, was now suddenly, like, immaculate and wonderful and helpful. It was like, they didn't just take care of the house while we were gone. They improved it. Now that is a good steward. That's somebody who takes what the owner wants and what the owner needs and like goes to the next level. They blessed us with their stewardship. Now here's what you need to know about the Bible. The Bible describes each and every human being as a steward. God created it. He owns it. It's his house. It's all his. He still owns everything that we have, every talent and gift and resource and dollar. Everything that comes into our lives is ultimately owned by God. And when you and I pass away, it'll still be his because he is the owner. We are the stewards, given something for the brief time that we're here on earth, given resources and given talents and giving things which we can use to bless the owner and to bless the world. That is our role. That is what it means to have resources. And just like the good steward in our life improved our home and did what the owner wanted, we are good stewards when we take what God gives us 
and we do what God wants. We're bad stewards when we take what God gives us, do what we want, and it's not what he wants. That's when there's tension. That's when we get into trouble. That's when actually our financial life starts to become a curse instead of a blessing. What this series is about is getting into alignment with the owner. Getting into alignment with what God says about our finances and our money. Here's the simplest way I can put it, and this is in your notes. Stewardship is recognizing that he is the owner and we are the caretakers. He is the owner and we are the caretakers. Now, this is kind of like an intense thought, because maybe you came in here today thinking like, I earn my stuff, and I own my stuff, and it's mine, and I put in the work, and it's me, and it's, you know, I, I get to decide what I do, and, and that's like why this is so offensive um, for, for many Americans. It's like, wait a minute, you're telling me that God owns it all when I worked hard for it? Well, yes, because if he hadn't put you in the position you're in, if he hadn't put you in the family you're in, if he hadn't put you in the country you're in, if he hadn't given you the skills that you have, then you wouldn't be able to earn it in the first place. It is God's. He has given you the opportunity to get it. And like I said, in the end, it's still all his. And so it can be offensive to look at this idea, but it's also kind of freeing. I mean, some of our deepest anxiety, some of our deepest fears come when we try to control something that we have no control over. When we try to own something that we don't own. You know, like, you ever experienced that? You're freaking out. You're worried. There's nothing you can do to change it. Stewardship helps us get over some of that anxiety. Because it helps us recognize that God is in control and that he has called me to do the best with what I have. He's called me to be a good caretaker, not a good owner. Uh, I, uh, I heard a story about a woman who took a stewardship class at her church and they kind of defined stewardship like we just did. And when they defined it that way in the class, she had this epiphany. She had been stressed out for years, uh, almost two decades, really struggling with anxiety and stress. Ever since she had three children, ever since her first child was born, she had been under a ton of stress. She always worried about her kids. To the point that even when they did kind of like normal stuff, like, they went on a school trip, or they went to spend time at a friend's house, or anytime they were not near her, she was crushed by anxiety. She, she was frustrated. She, she would even get really worried when they were just out in front of the house playing with their friends. She just had uncontrollable anxiety. And as they're going over stewardship, the Lord speaks to her. And he says, you don't own the kids. You can't control the kids. I haven't called you to that. I've called you to take good care of them. And she says it was this liberating moment for her. She was finally set free. That night was the first time she slept well in 15 years because for the first time she recognized that she couldn't control her kids, that she didn't have that kind of power, and that she had to leave that part to God. The best that she could do, what she was called to do, was take care of them for the years that he gave them to her. That was the calling. Stewardship is freeing. It's a journey that helps us overcome our fear, and our anxiety. And that's really good news when we start talking about finances. Because so many of us experience the most fear and the most anxiety relating to our money. I read an interesting stat from the National Financial Capacity Study. Uh, it said that 53% of Americans um, say that thinking about my personal finances makes me feel anxious. And then they drilled down a little more. And they said, 44% of Americans agreed that discussing my finances makes my heart race and makes me feel stressed. 
Almost half of Americans have a physiological response, a physical response when you start talking about money. You can feel your blood pressure rising. And you're like, yeah, my wife and I had that conversation earlier this, this weekend. We felt the blood pressure rising as soon as we started talking about finances. There's so much stress. There's so much fear when it comes to our money. But what's interesting is stewardship is a path, is a journey, is a process that leads us to financial freedom, to financial peace, away from all that fear, away from all that stress. In fact, Jesus has this great line in Matthew chapter 6 where he tells people, do not worry about money. Don't worry about the clothes you're going to wear. Don't worry about the food you're going to eat. And, and people come to this verse, and they're either just, like, totally confused by it, or they totally latch on to it. Like, it becomes like an anti-anxiety pill. Like, man, I'm feeling stressed about money. I'm going to pop a Matthew 6 here. I'm going to read it through. Everything's going to be okay. I'm going to find my Zen spot. I have nothing to worry about. The debt isn't real. The money isn't real. The food isn't real. You know, and we just try to, like, kind of get in a state of mind to overcome our financial stress. But you need to know something about Matthew chapter 6. It's not about a state of mind. In fact, right before Jesus says, do not worry about money, he gives us a very clear teaching about how we should handle our money. And if you're going to understand that freedom and peace he talks about on the back end, you need to know about the lifestyle he talks about on the front end. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Financial freedom is not a state of mind. It's a way of life. Jesus says if you invest everything, all your money, all your time, all your resources into things that can get robbed and broken, you will feel vulnerable. You will always feel like you're on the edge of being robbed and broken. It's like this. You can't outget your greed. If you're trying to get more so that you finally feel satisfied with what you got, if you're following the blue line and you're motivated by getting more and more and more, you're never going to get enough because you can't outget your greed. 70% of people who win the lottery end up bankrupt. Why? Because they never learn the principles of financial peace. Their greed is insatiable. And the more they get to feed their greed, the bigger the appetite gets. You can't outget your greed. Jesus says, you know what would change your financial life? If you started investing in something different. If you cared about something different. What if your heart was for giving to others? What if your heart was for taking care of people? What if your heart was aligned with the heart of God? I mean, Jesus says something pretty interesting in here. He doesn't say, um, well, let me put it this way. He says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what you give the most to, what you invest the most in, is what your heart cares about most. It's not like, I've got a giving heart, I just don't give. No, 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 no. You know your heart based on where your money goes. So Jesus says, this is how you know what you treasure in life. What are you putting your treasure in? The more that we feed the greed monster, the more it takes from us. The more peace it takes from us. The more sustainability it takes from us. The path of stewardship is a path of wisdom that results in peace. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, based on how much peace I have in my life, I might not be a very good steward. 
And if that's you, I've got really good news. And it's kind of the basis for this whole series. Stewardship is learned. It's not an instinct. Nobody just comes out really being like a super great steward. Stewardship is something we learn. Each and every one of us, no matter where we're at in our journey, maybe we feel like, you know, we're doing pretty well with our finances. Maybe we feel like we're a mess. Wherever we're at in that journey, stewardship is learned. Proverbs 4, 7 says this, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you do, and whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. Being hungry for wisdom and knowledge. Now, here's the good news. The Bible offers us so much wisdom and knowledge when it comes to our finances. So much life-giving and freeing news. And that's why we're going to spend this week and the next three weeks talking about stewardship. And we're going to get super, super practical, like things that anybody can do, no matter where we're at. What could we do to actually experience financial peace? And one aspect of this is on Wednesday nights, starting not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, on Wednesday nights, starting on January 18th, we're going to start taking our small group time and going over the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace Curriculum. Now, if you're not familiar with Dave, Dave is a guy who has proved this concept that you've got to learn um, uh, stewardship. Because here's Dave's story. Uh, He was in his early 30s, and finances had become a curse in his life. He had squandered everything, and he was in this horrible position, and he didn't know what to do next. That's when he got really serious and focused about what the Bible says about finances. And not only did he turn his financial life around, but now he has spent his life helping other people learn what it means to be a good steward and learn how to be such a good steward that you're finally able to be generous, that you're finally able to do some of the things that you've always wanted to do. And so we'll supplement this series with that Dave Ramsey series on Wednesday nights. And if you never come to a Wednesday night, this is a great time to start. It's a great time to get together and actually get to know people. And also, this is going to be life-changing, life-giving information. I talked to one person after first service who, had, who has done Dave Ramsey uh, Uh, lessons a a few times and they talked about how much debt they were able to pay off and how free it made them and how much it improved their marriage Um, and then they also told me a story about one of their one of the people they met at a Dave Ramsey course who paid off a million dollars in debt by applying the Dave Ramsey principle so it's just this idea that if we get serious and focused and wise and disciplined we can change our financial future Um, and let me start let me give you the first uh, principle, the first bit of wisdom that's going to get us going. And that is stewardship is simply this. It's living within the boundaries of the resources we have been given. It's living within the boundaries of the resources we have been given. Which is a really fancy way of saying, make a budget. Right? Step one, make a budget. Know what comes in and spend less than what comes in. Know what comes in and then spend less than what comes in. And maybe you're like, I, that math doesn't work. I have been there. Okay, I, I've spent years in that. But I can tell you, if you determine to be faithful with whatever you're given, God provides. Uh, we spent years where there wasn't enough coming in to cover what needed to be paid, and God provided and provided, and we were faithful and faithful, and we did everything we could in order to honor the Lord, and he did everything he could to take care of us. It turns out he's got way more than we ever needed. Make a budget. Make a plan. uh, Determine what is actually coming in and then let that be the boundary of what you spend. And it's so simple. Like, you don't need an economics degree for this. 
It's so, so simple. But honestly, it's the beginning of life change, a beginning to financial freedom. It will make a huge difference. Did you know that a majority of Americans um, are living with kind of crushing debt? Uh, right now, the average American household carries $16,000 in credit card debt. And when you exclude mortgages, don't even factor mortgages in, debt is at $38,000 per person as of 2018. And that just resonates with some of us because you were like, yeah, I'm that person. Like, I do feel crushed. I don't know what to do. Like, what I've done in the past, I've kind of stolen from my future, and I don't know where to go next. I promise you there is a way forward. And this does not have to consume you for the rest of your life. But in order to overcome, you're going to have to be really disciplined, really wise, and you're going to have to overcome a lot of the greed that's been driving these purchases. We don't go $16,000 in credit card debt. Um, for necessity. We go because we're chasing a feeling. We want to feel right. We want to feel good. We want something to make our life better, and that's the feeling that we often chase straight into debt. So step one to living a more generous life for almost all of us starts with addressing the debt and starting a budget. Just that simple. Addressing the debt and starting a budget. That is the foot that some of us need planted firmly in the ground before we'll ever be able to be generous the way we want to be. We've got to take good care of what we got. Um, I, uh, I have led, as a youth leader, and been on, as a student, many camps and retreats. And here's the exciting thing that happens for most students when you go to camp or you go to retreat. Your parents give you a little bit of spending money. And it's so exciting. You get this lump of cash in your hand. Maybe it's the first time you've had a lump of cash in a while. And, and they tell you, you know, like wise things like, hey, you should save for food, and make sure that you can eat and things like that. And, and then you're like, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. But every time, every single time, since I was 15 years old, up until I was leading these, every time uh, I went on a retreat or a camp, what I saw was some student grab that lump of cash and turn it in immediately. Like five minutes into the trip, it's gone. And now they've got a new video game or a brand new outfit, a brand new suit, something like that. Their girlfriend all of a sudden has a perfume she's always wanted. And it's like, whoa, what just happened? And the problem is when we do that, we then steal from our future. Because here's what happens at the end. You get to the end and then it's like, oh, man, I do need food. I do need food. But I got no cash left. And we can laugh at that and say, oh, kids. They do. But this is some of us in our life. I mean, we're spending, spending, spending at the front. We're trying to get some of this stuff. And then we get to the end and we're like, man, I really wanted to do some things. I, I really didn't want to feel so cursed by my finances. But here I am and now I can't afford the things that I need. And now I can't afford to be generous the way I want to be generous. And the only way we overcome that is by getting disciplined and focused. And I need to tell you, no matter how far you've gone and how hopeless you feel, there is a way out. It might be a slow journey. I promise it'll hurt, but there is a way out. And at the end of that journey, if you stay committed, I can't even describe the, how free you feel, how amazing you feel when you finally get that burden off your shoulders. Like I said, talking about finances makes most people blood, you know, blood pressure rise. Maybe you're squirming right now. Maybe you're like three weeks. Uh, it's okay, I come back in February. But I want to encourage you to stick with this. Because I promise, like, money seems like, oh, that's not a very spiritual thing to talk about <laughs> until you get free for the first time and you realize what a hold it had on your life. God's design, his plan, his hope 
for you is that he would be able to shower blessings on you so that you can be a blessing. He wants to co-labor with you. It's his house, and he wants to open up the house. He wants you to experience the joy of swimming in the pool and using the toaster oven. And more than that, he wants you to invite other people in, and he wants you to be able to feed people who need food and take care of people who don't have a place to stay and pour out generosity. He wants you to be a part of what he wants to do. That's the joy. That's what it, it's like to experience financial joy when you do something meaningful, which, wrath, which moth and rust cannot take from you. Even when God introduced the idea of blessing to Abraham in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, listen to what he said. I will make you into a great nation. That's a blessing. You're going to be king. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I'm going to pour out the blessing on you, Abraham. Things that you never even imagined possible. I'm going to pour it out on you. Why? Why, 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 why? So you can get a green life going. So you can start giving. So you can be a blessing to everybody that you meet. Blessing is all about caring for others. I want to leave you with two reasons that God chooses to bless us. Because these are important. Two reasons he chooses to bless us. Number one, it's because he loves us. It's just because he loves us. I just had Christmas with a three-year-old, so it was like the first time the light went on. Like there was anticipation and giddiness, and, and, you know, they opened the present, and it's like, that is the craziest joy I've ever experienced. Like watching someone I love experience that much joy, that's how our Heavenly Father is with us. He's not tight-fisted, and he doesn't want us to be miserable. Our goal is not to pry his tight hands out. No, no, no. He wants to bless us, and he recognizes that sometimes we're not being a good steward. And so blessing us more doesn't actually bless us. And he's waiting for us to become responsible. He loves us so much that he wants to be able to put more in our hands. He blesses us because he loves us. And number two, broken record here, I hope, hope you can't escape this, so we can be a blessing. He loves us and he wants us to experience the blessing of being a blessing. Mom always said, don't deny someone the blessing of being a blessing. Let them bless. I want us to imagine just for a moment what it would like to really have financial peace in our lives. Like, I want you to imagine being able to talk to your spouse about finances without feeling your blood pressure go through the roof, without screaming and fighting. So many of our marriages are struggling because of finances. It is a curse on our marriage. It's a curse on our life. Finances are not our blessing. It's what's killing us. Imagine a day when that did not tear your family apart but brought your family together. We've got goals. We've got vision. God has spoken us. We're going to do something great with what he has given us, and we're together and we're united on this. Imagine if you stewarded together. Imagine a day where you could go in the grocery store and you could see somebody struggling in front of you and you could tell that they don't have the money. And instead of being bitter at them and frustrated and tapping your foot, imagine if you had the capacity to bless them. To just be generous on the spot. To say, I want to help you. I want to love you. Jesus loves you. I'm with you. Imagine that you had that kind of financial peace, that kind of financial freedom. Imagine uh, having the kind of freedom that if something happened in our community and somebody really needed help or a family really needed something to get through, that you could be the one to bless them, that you could be the one to help them get through. Imagine being a source of blessing for those around you, for your neighbors when they have a hand, when they need a hand. Imagine instead of feeling stressed all the time uh, about your money, imagine being able to have a dream for it. God, whatever you give me, 
I want to do something worthwhile. Whatever you put in my hands, we want, to, we want to make a difference. Imagine having financial peace. We're going to take this month as a church to focus on this. And we're going to get really, really practical over the next three weeks. We're going to talk about things that anybody can do and that if anybody tries, I think you're going to be really blessed by it. And so I do encourage you to come back. And maybe you're sitting here and you're a student and you're like, I don't have a family, I don't have big bills, I don't have anything. If you adapt these principles now, it'll make your entire life better going forward. Every person in this room who feels crushed by their money wishes that they had listened when, you, when they were sitting where you're sitting right now. And you can establish principles and habits right now, no matter how old you are. If you're 11, if you're 18, if you're 80, you can establish principles right now that'll change your future. Let's close in prayer and thank God for this message. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and the encouragement it is to us. Um, for some of us today, it might have felt like kind of a hard challenge. And for others of us, it may have kind of felt like a gasp of fresh air, like maybe there's a way forward. Wherever we fall in that, Lord, would you just speak to us? This is such a sensitive issue. I mean, we're so sensitive about this. And like, if you don't speak, then we're not going to hear anything. And so, God, I just pray that you'd break down any walls we have that you'd uh, relieve us of some of our guilt, some of our shame regarding money, that you'd relieve us of, uh, of some of our panic, and that instead you could just set us on a new path. Lord, I just pray that you would fix our eyes on a journey, and that we would walk this journey of freedom with you, and that we'd have confidence in your love, your protection, and your care the whole way. Lord, draw us in throughout the series, and we'll be careful to give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.